Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us on the journey today. Roger, one of the things that I love about conversations like this, we get to talk about things that maybe don't necessarily fit into a sermon or a Bible class sort of format. We're here in the second half of October 2022, and we want to spend these next two Fridays, today and next Friday, I'm not sure I ever would have guessed that we would uh, have a title like this, but we've just called it Witches and Ghosts. Absolutely. We're in a holiday the the season of Halloween, and it's a time when oftentimes people decorate their houses and a lot of haunted houses and spooky stuff going on, a lot of spooky movies. The kids put on costumes and go trick-or-treating, and... It's a season in which uh, you see ghosts and witches and all those things. And and one of the thoughts that comes up is, what about those things? And it's interesting that the Bible fits all seasons, all times. And so we need to look at that and talk about those things. Now, we're pulling out two specific stories out of the Bible. There's a story that comes from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28 that deals with a witch. And so we want to kind of walk through that today and talk about that. And I think as we do this, there we're going to see lots of layers of lessons for us as we, we think about these things. But there's, there's good things for us to remind ourselves of when seasons like this come up. That's a good time to just kind of get our minds thinking about that. So witches and goats, that's what we're going to be talking about. All right. So are we talking 1 Samuel 28 about a woman with green skin and a black pointy hat flying around on a broom? Is that what we're talking about? And the house may fall on her. No, <laughs> no, we're not doing Wizard of Oz stuff. We're not. And we're not really told what this woman looks like, but she was a woman. And let's just kind of go back and talk about the story here. So 1 Samuel 28, we got Israel. The king is Saul. And Saul is at the end of his reign. He has disappointed God time and time again. God has kind of picked out the next king, and that's going to be David. And the Philistines are gathering for war, which they've done multiple times. And in 1 Samuel 28 and in verse 5, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled, it says. And we remind ourselves back to the days of the giant Goliath that Saul was afraid then. So what Israel would do in those days before they went off into battle, they would ask of God. Do we go to battle? Do we not go to battle? They wanted the Lord's permission before they engaged in battle. That was a common thing. Joshua did that a lot, and the judges would do that a lot. So in verse 6, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that because Saul had been disobedient to God, God had removed himself from Saul, and Saul no longer could hear uh, what God wanted him to do. So King Saul doesn't know what to do. The Philistines are down there. They're gathering for war. Should we run? Should we fight? I asked God. God didn't answer me. Now he's in a pickle. And what should be done? Yeah, Samuel, we're told in verse 3, had died. Samuel was that last judge in Israel and had been obviously a, a source of instruction to Saul. 
what am I going to do now is the question. It's interesting, even 1 Samuel 28, verse latter part of verse 3, tells us Saul had put the mediums, or some of our English translations may render that witches, Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And before we go any further in 1 Samuel 28, maybe it's helpful to be reminded God had warned about this, right? When Saul put these people out of the land, that's actually the right call. He had done the right thing. God had warned in Leviticus. He had warned through Moses in Deuteronomy. Let me just read a little from Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord." Let me just pause here for a second. Maybe sometimes we get it in our minds that, well, the people who were already in the land of Canaan that God was giving to the children of Israel, those were innocent people. What about them? And it's interesting that God says, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And so these... This is the sort of practice that was going on before the children of Israel came into the land. Saul, first king in Israel, has driven these people out. But as you've said, he's in a pickle. Samuel, his spiritual counselor, has died. The Lord won't answer him. And so Saul turns to the same foolishness he had driven out earlier in his reign. Yeah, and let, let's just do a little backstory here too, just just to understand why. And and lest we think that this is so ancient that there's nothing like that. Uh, there are still palm readers today. There's still people that check their horoscopes and astrology, and it's the same idea. And the problem with this is, rather than seeking the divine God, they're seeking these other people. And it is God who knows the future. It is God who controls the universe, not these people. And so, so th- this was, this is a rival to God. And, you know, in the Ten Commandments, you'll have no other gods before me. Uh, it's only the Lord who really knows the future. It's only the Lord who controls these things. And so these mediums, these astrologers, these spiritualists, these are ones who thought that they could tell you what's going to happen. And instead of praying to God, people would go to them. God would have no part of that. So they were not to be part of Israel's life whatsoever. So here we go. Saul's in trouble, and the Philistines are going to fight, and he doesn't know what to do. So he find, he sends his men to find a witch, and he's going to go to her. And even though he's driven them out of the land, they find somebody. And and this witch is going to be someone that Saul is going to try to get the answer. Should we go to battle or should we not? What do you make of, in verse 8, him disguising himself as he goes to see her? 
Well, you know, he's the king, and, you know, if this woman sees the king coming up and she is a witch, she knows she's going to be in trouble because he has driven them from the land. I think also there's the other side to that. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to disguise so nobody will recognize you. And he's just kind of wanting to get that answer. What should we do with this? He comes to her by night disguised. He wants this to fly completely under the radar, right? And so he begins talking with her, requests divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And it's interesting that the woman says, surely you know what Saul has done. You know, I, I'm not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be talking to me. She thinks, well, maybe this is some sort of a trap, but he And maybe this is one of the most tragic statements of all. Verse 10, he swears to her by the Lord, by the very name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how desperate, disillusioned, confused, and tangled this man is. So what happens next? So so he convinces this woman to do this. And so she asks him, who do you want me to bring up? And he says, Samuel. And so Samuel says in verse, Samuel comes back. And in verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me for bringing me up? And Saul answered and said, I'm greatly distressed for the Philistines are are waging war against me. God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may make known to me what I should do. And right then, he gets rebuked by Samuel. There's a reason why God doesn't answer you, because you won't obey God. He reminds him of the time when they were supposed to conquer a nation and drive out everybody and not keep any of the spoils or anybody alive. And Saul had disobeyed that. That was the reason why God was not listening to him anymore. And so Samuel tells him in verse 19, He says, moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. That means by tomorrow, you're going to die. And so you want your answer. Here's the answer. And it it just doesn't go well for Saul from here. All right. So strange story. <laughs> and I I don't mean that in any sort of a, a derogatory way. This is just a, an unusual and strange story. The question, Roger, is, all right, what can we in the 21st century learn from this? What sort of implications do you see from this account? One of the first things I think we can understand from this is, is God had his hand in this. I mean, Samuel would not come back unless the Lord allowed this. It wasn't the witch who did this. God did this. Verse 12 tells us when she saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. What she is seeing very much unsettles her. Yeah, so so th- this is not normal for this witch. I mean, I'm sure people have paid her money in the past, and she's tried to do some hocus-pocus on people, and... 
But this is for real. And she knows this not by her. God is allowing this. You know, uh, through the years, uh, the most famous one, of course, is Harry Houdini, the great magician. When he died, uh, he was heavily into seances. And he told his wife that after he died, he'd come back to her in these seances. And they did them for decades, and nothing ever happened. Uh, it never does. It never does because this this is not uh, according to the way of God. But but one of the lessons we, we learned from this is that uh, Saul knew he was wrong. All through this, he knew he was wrong. Yet he's so desperate, he's so scared, he's going to go with that. What a lesson for us. Sometimes we get ourselves in such a mess, we know the next choice, the next step isn't a good choice, we probably shouldn't do it, but off we go doing it. And that just makes matters worse. And this this did not help Saul out at all because he was following some things that just wasn't right with the Lord. There are more than one occasion in Saul's life where he will even tell us in his own words, I knew I shouldn't have, but I pushed myself to do it anyway. And this is just another sad instance of that. One of the things that stands out to me, as strange as this whole account is, clearly Samuel's death that we read about up in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 28 was not the end of Samuel. I mean, we hear Samuel had died. I'm assuming his body was buried. We know Israel mourned for him. They buried him. In fact, verse 3 tells us in Ramah, his own city. But just because his body was buried, it didn't mean that was the end of Samuel. Absolutely. And Saul even believed that because Saul Saul's the one who says, bring him back. And so what he was wanting was the spirit of Samuel to come back. And so uh, in verse 15, which we just read, when Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Uh, it wasn't a resurrection from his body. His soul came out of Hades where it was, and God is allowing this conversation to take place. And so, you know, Jesus would talk about this in, in the book of uh, Matthew when he talks about God is a God of the uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And so we live on after we die. What a classic example of this to remind ourselves that death isn't the end and that we go on to live in the spirit world as God intends it to be. Even for Saul and his sons, their death the next day was not going to be their end, right? The way that Samuel describes this is tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. What else stands out to you? Well, you know, I, I see a practical lesson here for us that, that sometimes we can go through life and just do whatever we want to do, kind of like Saul was living, and then we get ourselves in a real pickle here. We're getting ourselves a real mess, and we just expect God to come and bail us out. That's kind of what Saul was doing here. Here the Philistines has gathered. He hasn't really been following God very closely during this time period, but now I need God. And so God come, because I'm calling to you, and get me out of this mess. And had God done that, most likely Saul would have just part God again on the side of the road until I need you again. Uh, I only need you when I'm in the mess. Get me out of the mess, and I don't need you anymore. 
that has a, that's how a lot of people want to treat God. And that is, first of all, very unfair to God. And it's not the way God operates. He's not the genie in the bottle that whenever we rub the magic lamp, he immediately comes and he does everything we say. Uh, that's Aladdin. That's make believe. That's Disney. <laughs> Fairy tales. It is. It's not, it's not the God you read about in the Bible. And so a classic example right here is because of Saul's disobedience, God had departed and they did not have a relationship. And who had moved was Saul. Saul had moved away from God and not walked with God. And because of that, their relationship collapsed. Now I need him. And now it's a mess. Bridge to us today. I ignore God. I don't worship God. I just do whatever I want to do. And then mama gets sick. Now I'm praying to God. Why won't he answer me? Well, maybe because I don't have a relationship. Maybe it's because I moved from him. Maybe I'm just using God like a genie and not the Lord of heaven and earth as it should be. Yeah, it sure does sound like what is missing in that whole equation is genuine repentance, right? This is a sad example of exactly what God warned about in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It it wasn't that God couldn't reach Saul. It was not that his ear was dull that it could not hear but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Had Saul, like David after him, in genuine, broken-hearted repentance come to God, I don't know about you, Roger. I've got to believe that God hears him, that that God intervenes. It may not be what Saul wants to hear. God may tell him the, the hard, unvarnished truth. But I can't think of a time when someone in Scripture comes with wholehearted, contrite repentance and God says, nope, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm, I'm not even going to acknowledge that you're reaching out to me. Well, you know, the Lord would say, seek and you'll find, knock and shall be answered. And that, that's the promise we have with the Lord. And again, to, to understand that relationship we have with God. In the sunshine, when things are going great, I still need to be following God. I still need to do what God wants me to do and realize that there will be storms that come and the dark clouds roll in. And when they do, what a difference that makes because I've had a relationship with God. God has been with me and I've been with him and he will hear my voice. But to just ignore God and just to say, okay, I'm going to just go about my way, uh, that that doesn't go very well. And, and we see the outcome of that right here. You know, I would leave uh, the, the last observation here, and I'll, I'll come back to you if you've got another one. But one of the things that really stands out to me, God tells his people all the way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you don't get involved in this sort of stuff. This is the sort of abominable foolishness that the people in Canaan before you were participating in. You don't do that. 
And yet God never left his people without a way to connect with him. It's not in, you know, cutting out the livers of chickens and tossing bones in a bowl and seeing how they land or visiting a fortune teller or a necromancer, something like that. It's humble yourself under my my mighty hand, Pray to me, look to me, trust me, be patient and wait for me and believe that I hear you and that I am in control. Even though God puts these things out of bounds, he doesn't leave us on our own. And and I think there's a reason why God wanted Israel to drive out these nations. It wasn't just for the land's sake only. But when you're when you're intermingling with these people, uh, their practices, their ideas, their culture gets involved with you, and so you know what a lesson for us is. We need to drive out these false things from our lives, get them out of our lives because they're not true, and they take us from God. They hurt our relationship with God, and there's a lot of stuff like that today, and, and things like that. Now, putting putting a lid on this as we go back to the very beginning here. Um, what about Christian parents who uh, want to let their little child dress up for Halloween and go <laughs> trick-or-treating? Is it wrong for them to make them look like a little witch? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is just me personally, but personally, from my point of view, that wouldn't violate my conscience. Uh, certainly, if uh, a parent's conscience is twinged by that a little, then you need to respect your conscience. But I do think, you know, we started from the very beginning uh, kind of uh, half-joking that there is a difference, I think, between what we're reading here in 1 Samuel 28 and that famous Wicked Witch of the West in in uh, The Wizard of Oz. I, I think culturally we are at a different point. Now, obviously, I would... Uh, very, very much caution someone, uh, my own daughters or anyone else, against dabbling in this sort of thing. You know, so many strip malls around our country where there are so-called fortune tellers and palm readers and all of these things. I think even just for the sake of our influence, as you've brought out just a moment ago, Roger, that's a bad idea. But uh, when it comes to culturally having fun this Halloween season, uh, personally, I wouldn't have a problem with that. No, no, I don't either. Because you know what what we're talking about here is a form of religion in Samuel, and it's time a time of things that's disobeying God, dressing up like a cute little witch, and just going around getting some candy. That's that's not bad, especially if they share with their dad. It's really good. <laughs> but now, but now we do we do need to recognize that there is a form of religion called Wicca or yes. witches, mm-hmm. and I personally know some Christians who who got into that and they left the Lord, and they are they are currently practicing uh, that concept, and that that is a uh, dark cult out there. It, it is still thriving today, and that is in violation of God's Word. Uh, it's not right, and sometimes young people may want to dabble with that because it's just a fascination, the darkness of it, the, the excitement of it, but th- those are some places you don't want to go. And there's some places that, that you need to realize, I need to drive this out because it's not right. And it can mess with my faith, and it can hurt me spiritually. And so, so you know, 
we, we need to recognize what, what we're looking at here and what great lessons we learn here and how desperate, desperate Saul was. And he got that way because of his own choices. Yeah. Well said. Witches and ghosts. What an interesting uh, little exercise. We appreciate you joining us for part one of this little two-part series. Lord willing, next Friday, the Friday right before Halloween, we'll look at a New Testament example that will take us into this whole discussion of ghosts. But Roger, I appreciate you joining me today, being a good sport in this discussion. We appreciate all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast, even though this is a a strange account in 1 Samuel 28. Who knew there's so much to reflect on and learn from? We hope it's helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for your journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven-bound, and the best is yet to come.